Well, sometimes we're in the grind of life. We're working hard. We're not seeing the fruit that we expected. Sometimes we feel like we're just chasing our tail. Maybe you've felt that way before. You're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, but you're just not seeing all of the results. You're, you're just kind of grinding it out every single day. Well, today I want to share with you a message called Grace in the Grind. Grace in the Grind, because God's grace is sufficient for us in the middle of the grind of life. Last week we kicked off this exciting series, Messes and Miracles, from the book of Ruth. And we talked about uh, the introductory part of that book last week, chapter 1, Ruth uh, is the main character that really kind of comes on the scene a little bit stronger in chapter 2. But Naomi is the, is the mother. She's the mother-in-law. And her and her family moved to the land of Moab. Elimelech's the dad. They got two boys. And the dad dies in the land of Moab. So now Naomi's a widow. And then her sons die. She's got nobody to take care of her. And she's a single lady. But she's got these two daughter-in-laws. And she says, I'm going to go back to the land of Israel, back to my homeland. And she goes back, and she ends up taking Ruth with her, one of her daughter-in-laws. But now these two single widowed women are back in the land of Israel. Naomi hasn't been there in a decade Ruth, on the other hand, is a Moabitess. She's from another nation. She's an immigrant. Uh, she, they, neither one of them have anyone to take care of them. They're homeless. They're destitute. They really got nothing. Naomi's an old lady. Ruth's trying to take care of her. And so one day, she shows up in the field to glean some grain. Do you guys know what gleaning is? Gleaning is when you're picking up the scraps. We call it dumpster diving in the 21st century. And after a field would be harvested commercially, um, it was Jewish law. Actually, this was enforced that you had to leave some on the ground for the poor people. You had to leave some around the edges for the people that didn't have as much. And this is how Ruth is going to take care of her mother-in-law and herself. She's gleaning the fields. She's picking up the scraps in chapter 2. But God is about to intervene in a great way. Did you know that there's grace in the grind? The grace of God is still with you when you're grinding it out, when you're showing up at the office and you're working hard and you feel like nobody appreciates what you're doing. When you're trying to love your kids and trying to instruct them and teach them and tell them what's right and what's good and maybe they're looking at you kind of funny, there, there is grace in the grind. There's grace in the grind. Grace is God's empowerment to enable you to successfully do whatever God has called you to do. And a lot of times we think about grace when we think about salvation because the Bible says we are saved by grace. Sometimes we think about forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of grace. That's true. Other times we think about being transformed into the image of Jesus by grace. Yeah, that's true. But did you know that grace is also the thing that sustains us? I love John chapter 1 verse 16 where it talks about grace upon grace. 
In other words, there's a multiplicity of grace. God never runs out of the grace that he can dispense into your life. It, it, it is grace upon grace. It, it, is, it is something that starts and never stops. It's something that begins and it, it never ends with God. There is a constant overflowing abundance of the grace of God. Well, how do we tap into that? I want us to look today at this great character, Boaz. Boaz is the owner of the field that, that Ruth begins to glean. She has no idea. She literally shows up in this field to get some grain to be able to eat. And lo and behold, it is the field of Boaz. Boaz is an amazing guy. We, we know him as a type of Christ and, and when we interpret scripture, it's always important to put the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Okay, the Old Testament is not like a different story than the New Testament. It's all one story. It all weaves together. So what we see in the old is what we see in the new. And Boaz is a type of Christ. We interpret the character of Boaz as someone who points us to Jesus. And he does so for several reasons. One, he's born in the town of, uh, of the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe of Jesus. He lives in the town of Bethlehem, Jesus' town. He has incredible character. He's the redeemer. And we'll talk about that next week, how he redeems Ruth and how he provides for Naomi. And he's an abundant provider. And so when you look at the character of Boaz, Boaz points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, Ruth is eventually going to marry Boaz in chapter 3. They're going to have a son who's named Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David, the greatest of all the kings of Israel. And then uh, David is a great-great-granddad of Jesus Christ. So, so um, the lineage of Jesus is, is, is about to come in and through this story. This is why the story of Ruth is extremely important. But today, let's talk about grace in the grind. Number one, grace approaches me. Grace approaches me. Um, look at this in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen to my daughter. Listen, my daughter. Don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one. But stay here close to my female servants. Boaz goes and approaches Ruth. Now, he doesn't know her. And maybe Ruth was kind of cute. You know, I'm not sure. And Boaz is a single guy. Maybe that had a little something to do with it. But, but Boaz is not just looking out for himself. He, he says to her, um, stay here. Stay here. He approaches her. Ruth has no idea who Boaz is at first. And then he comes and begins to talk to her, and he begins to protect her. Now, in the ancient world, um, kind of like today in the 21st century, th there's, there's people that don't always have the best intentions. And Boaz says, listen, if you go to the other guy's field, uh, you may not be safe over there. But if you'll stay over here with this group, you'll be protected. You'll be okay. And, and grace approaches Grace shows up in the life of Ruth. Again, she's a Moabitess. She's from another country. 
She has worshipped other gods earlier in her life. She has served uh, other deities. She, she knows different customs and traditions. She's an outsider, but she finds grace. She finds grace. And Ruth didn't go looking for it. Grace came and found her. You know, in the Lord Jesus' ministry, Jesus was always finding people and showing grace. I'm thinking about the disciples when they were on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm one night. And the wind was fierce and the waves were intense. So much so they thought they were going to die. And what happens? Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in some unexpected places, doesn't he? I mean, Jesus shows up at some unexpected times. Can Jesus really show up in the middle of a storm? Doesn't Jesus just show up when everything is calm and collected and everything is steady and normal and when everybody's smiling and feeling great about life? Isn't that when Jesus shows up? Oh, no. Oh, no. Jesus does his greatest work at the most unexpected times and Jesus goes and he approaches the disciples and he he shows them grace he calms those waves and those and those those winds that are that are about to destroy the boat wow Jesus shows up at some unexpected times Boaz's field is an unexpected place in chapter 2 verse 3 it says that Ruth just happened to show up in the field of Boaz. It's almost like a little tongue-in-cheek in the Hebrew language, like this was the providence of God. Listen, God orchestrated the circumstances and the situations where he was going to put this woman in need with a man that could take care of every need that she had, and God put it together, and God preordained it, and God orchestrated it because grace shows up at some unexpected times. But you know, grace also shows up in some unexpected places. You know, a, a couple weeks ago, I did a funeral for somebody. And did you know that eight people gave their lives to Jesus Christ at the funeral? Can grace show up at a funeral? Oh, I think so. We may be selling God short. Grace can show up in a hospital room. Grace can show up in a jail. Grace can show up at a bar. Grace can show up at a school. Grace can show up in a neighborhood. And it's sometimes those most unexpected places and those most unexpected times that God does his greatest work. That's why this 23rd Psalm says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you're with me. God's always with us, isn't he? I love that. It's beautiful. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19.10 tells us the purpose statement of Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So grace approaches me. Listen, there is grace for you. You may be in some unexpected places, some unexpected times, but the grace of God is there for you. And when you need grace the most, that's when God shows up the strongest. 
Grace approaches me. But grace also protects us. In the words of Boaz, he gives these words of direction and protection for Ruth. Again, he doesn't know her. But in verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. And she fell down and bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Ruth feels completely unworthy. Maybe you felt unworthy of the grace of God. You're like, why is God blessing me? Why is God taking care of me? Why is God working in my life this way? I, I, what have I done to deserve it? And, and th- this is the experience of Ruth. But notice the protecting words of, of, of this man, Boaz. He said, listen, don't, don't go over there. And I mean, he's very specific. He tells her, now drink water here and stay with these people and don't go over there. If you go to the other guy's field, they may not be as nice over there. And I've told the guys to not mess with you. And, and if you'll do this, you'll, you know what? I'm going to protect you. And she's like, why is this happening? You know, the grace of God has been given to us to protect us from so many things. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that anyone can boast. One of the things that God wants to protect us from is hell. Eternal separation from God. That's one of the things. Uh, Titus 2.11 says, God has revealed his grace to save the whole human race. I mean, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, to rise from the grave, to protect us from hell. So that we could have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Now a lot of times we, when we think about heaven and hell, we think, well, God's going to put the good people over here and the bad people over here. And usually our definition of good people is usually like includes us, whatever that standard is, you know. And, and, and the question I always wonder is like, well, how good do you have to be to go to heaven? Have you ever thought about that before? Like... Well, how many, just like how many sins can you commit, you know? Because I think if, if there was a standard like that, most of us would, would tiptoe right up to the edge, you know? We'd be like, I'm not going to go over it, but I'm going to get right there. God sees the world. God sees people in a different light. God doesn't see, quote unquote, the good people and the bad people by whatever standard that we may have. God sees forgiven people and he sees unforgiven people. He sees people who have received his grace, his free gift of salvation, and those that have not. And God wants to protect us from hell and eternal separation from him. That's why he sent Jesus to die and to rise again on the third day. You see, God has never made a person that he doesn't have a purpose for their life. God has never made a person that he doesn't want to go to heaven. God has never made a person that Jesus did not die for. God never made a person that he doesn't love. We see this echoed all the way through the story of Ruth. It's the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. And when we embrace it, God begins to protect 
us. But it gets even better than this. Grace protects us, but grace also blesses us. Look at this uh, in verse 14 and 18. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. Now, come on, somebody. He's busting out the vinegar sauce. Come on. Does it get any better than that? That's the good stuff, right? The vinegar sauce. Woo! So she sat beside the harvesters, and she offered her roasted gra- and, and he offered her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. And she picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Okay, so a couple of things. In the ancient world, people didn't always, a lot of times people didn't eat till they were full because they didn't have much. So a lot of times you would eat to just be able to kind of like do what you had to do, you know? When we eat, like we eat. That's why we got so many healthy people, amen? <laughs> Lots of skinny people in the Bible times, man, because people weren't eating that much. Well, Ruth is satisfied. How many of you love to eat till you're satisfied, amen? How many of us do that three times a day? I mean, the Bible comments, it says, and she was satisfied. It was the good stuff. It was like she went to Elway's Steakhouse. Can I get a witness? I mean, you just think about your favorite restaurant where you just had, you know, maybe you even had like two entrees. I don't know, some of the guys in the house today. I'm having extra dessert, whatever it is. She's satisfied. And then she takes a little to-go box home for Naomi. I mean, there's some provision that's going on here. I love this. And Naomi's loving it too. And she's blessed. And so uh, Boaz blesses Ruth. Like, I want you to have your fill. And then I, then I want you to even have some left over. I'm going to bust out the vinegar sauce for you. She ate and she was satisfied. You know, a couple of years ago, Maggiano's, you guys know Maggiano's? They had a special, do they, I don't know if they still do this anymore, but in the corner of the menu for $12.98, you could order special pasta entrees and you, they would bring you like a really healthy uh, portion and you would eat, but then it also, for $12.98, it included a to-go box with the equal portions. And I got so upset because I had gone there and I had spent like, uh, $25 on my entree with nothing to take home. I mean, I was a little bit bitter about this. It's like, come on, it's like in the corner of the menu. Like, they don't want everybody to know about it, you know? I, I just imagine that this, this meal that Boaz has with Ruth and these harvesters it is one that's like that. And this is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Did you know when the grace of God is operating in your life, it will fill you up? When you feel empty, the grace of God will give you some strength, amen, some sustenance. Come on, somebody. Have you ever felt that before? It's the grace of God. And the grace of God satisfies us, fills us up. He blesses her. He blesses her. Psalm 23 says, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. This is also echoed over in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Remember, David is a descendant of Boaz and Ruth. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, one of my favorite stories about grace 
it says this, so the king asked, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show kindness to? And then if you skip down to verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Well, David's best friend was Jonathan, the son of King Saul. And even though Saul was really kind of nasty to David, David loved Jonathan. So David's one day said, you know what, I love Jonathan. Can I honor anybody in the household of Saul? And they're like, well, there's only this one guy left. Everybody else is dead. His name's Mephibosheth, and he's crippled. He's disabled. He lives in a, in a, in a you know, remote place, and nobody talks to him. He can't walk. He was dropped when he was a little baby. And, and you know, like, what do you want us to do, king? He's like, bring him to the, bring him to the palace. Mephibosheth thinks they're going to kill me. I'm a threat to the throne. And instead, what does David do? He gives him a seat at the table like a family member. David treats Mephibosheth like a prince. A lot of kings would have seen Mephibosheth as an outlaw, as a threat. Instead, he welcomes him in. He has no merits. He hasn't done anything to deserve the king's favor. And King David gives him one of my favorite parts of the story, 35 servants. You know, like how many people does it take to wait on you? He's got, he's got people doing everything for him. And he's got the blessings of God and he has a seat at the table. And 2 Samuel chapter 9 is a beautiful story about grace. And that same story is echoed over here in Ruth chapter 2. It's, it's, it's described in the ministry of Jesus beautifully and wonderfully. In an instant, this young man, Mephibosheth's life changes. You know what? When you encounter the grace of God, things begin to change in your life. All of a sudden, he had honor. All of a sudden, he had respect. All of a sudden, he had standing. And God gives us all those things in and through his grace. One of the reasons that we don't, express, uh, that we don't give the grace of God away is because we, we haven't really experienced it in our own lives. Once you really begin to eat and to taste of God's grace in your life, you want to start sending people home with to-go baggies. You're like, let me box that up and let me send that home with you. Isn't that beautiful? What would our homes be like if there was more grace? What would our marriages be like? What would our families be like if there was, a, if there, there was just a little more grace? What would our offices, come on somebody, what would, that, what would our workplaces be like if, if there was a little bit more of the grace of God? We were passing out some of this food. You may say, well, pastor, I don't feel blessed. I get it. We all have days like that, don't we? That's why God gave us Ephesians chapter 1. I don't have time to go through every single nuance of this, but could I just describe to you a few minutes the blessings that you have if you're in Christ, the tremendous spiritual blessings that God has poured on your life. Because sometimes we forget about these things and maybe we need to be reminded a bit. And maybe if you've never committed your life to Christ, maybe you would hear these and say, you know what, I want to sign up for that team. That's, that's, that's what I want. Let me give you a few examples. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. We're holy and blameless before God. We're greatly loved we are adopted into God's spiritual family. We're accepted by God. We're redeemed through the blood of Christ. 
We have the forgiveness of sins. We have abounding grace. We know the mystery of God's will. We've obtained an, an eternal inheritance. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we have a great calling on our life. And I hadn't even gone over all of them. Come on, let's give God some praise today. Amen? So don't you leave here today saying, well, I'm not blessed. Because again, sometimes we think, well, other people, blessings are for other people. But what about me? God has blessed you. But grace also is very uplifting. And Boaz is going to give words of encouragement to Ruth. I think perhaps one of the greatest expressions of grace is through words of affirmation, words of love. Look, look what he says in verse 10. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land and how you came to a people you did not previously know May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Wow. He says, Ruth, you're doing better than you think you are. You know, sometimes when you're in the grind of life, you see all the problems. I don't have enough money to pay the bills. People are mad at me. This ain't going the way it's supposed to go. And Ruth's looking around and she's like, you know what, man? I'm a widow. My husband died. I'm in a foreign land. I'm hungry. I don't have a place to live. I don't know what to do. And Boaz is like, oh, no. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing a lot better. Think about it, man. Your character, your integrity, you, you left your homeland? You're loyal to, to your mother-in-law? You, you're a woman of character? I've heard about you. Word spreads. You know what? When you serve God's purposes in your life, people begin to know about it. People talk about it. Word gets around. And she lives a grace-filled life. And word travels. Grace is so encouraging. Grace is so encouraging. Today... Some of you guys are doing better than you think you are. Did you know that? Like, did you get the bills paid last month? At least some of them? Come on, you're doing better than you think you are. When you got up this morning, did you have, did you have some, some breath in your lungs? Oh, I think you're doing better than you think you are. Amen. Amen. Has God given you a great church family to worship with each weekend? You're doing better than you think you are. Some of you, you've been sober 90 days. Come on now. I, I know you wish it was 900 days, but you're doing better than you think you are. And Boaz begins to bless Ruth with these words of encouragement. She's looking it down and going, I, I don't have this and I don't have that. And he's like, oh, no, wait a second. Let me tell you, I've heard about you. You're an amazing woman. 
You're a courageous person. Some of you don't feel courageous, but you are courageous. Some of you don't feel gifted, but you are greatly gifted by God. Some of you don't feel talented or creative, but God has given you amazing anointing and amazing gifting. Amen? You're doing better than you think you are. You know, all throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was encouraging people with his words. He said things like this, your sins are forgiven. You're doing better than you think you are. Peace, be still. Peace I give to you. You're doing better than you think you are. I'm with you even to the end of the age. You're doing better than you think you are. Don't worry about tomorrow. You're doing better than you think you are. How about this? Get up and walk. Whoa. You're doing better than you think you are. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And knock and the door will be open to you. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. You're doing better than you think you are. <laughs> if you have the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will move the mountain. You're doing better than you think that you are. Today, we need to be encouraged by the words of Jesus. We need to be encouraged by the word of God because grace it's the greatest motivator. It really is. And you want to motivate people in your office? Motivate people by grace. You can motivate people by obligation. You can move the ball a little bit on that. You want to really motivate people? Read the words of Boaz. Ruth is like, I just met my dream man. You know? Listen, single people, read the story of Ruth. Women, you want to marry a guy like Boaz. We'll get into that a little bit more next week. That's what we need to be looking for. Somebody like that. So grace uplifts me, but grace also favors me. Look at this finally in verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Favor. Favor. She found favor in his eyes. Now, the word in the Old Testament, favor, means to gain attention. So, what she's saying is, Boaz, you saw everybody, but you were looking at me. Favor. Favor. And spiritually speaking, if you're in Christ, you have the favor of God on your life. Favor is when God divinely opens doors for you. God embolds you and God empowers you. Okay, Sometimes we read characters in the Bible and they're like, they had favor. That was awesome for Noah, but what about me? Listen, if you're in Christ, you have the favor of God. You do. Don't, don't, don't believe otherwise. It's the favor of God. There were 20 contracts on the house, and somebody maybe even offered more money, but you got it. Favor. Favor. Everybody else was applying for the job. You got it. Favor. Favor. And guess what? If you didn't get it, don't worry, because God has something better for you. I'm just saying. Favor. 
And favor makes a difference. Throughout Scripture, favor established the work of a person's hand, helps people during tough times, uh, turned one's enemies into allies, and protected the righteous like a shield. That's divine favor. Jacob begged for it. Hezekiah sought it. Daniel petitioned for it. And Nehemiah cried out for it. You ought to ask for the favor of God on your life. That's not being selfish. That's not being silly. We ought to pray for it. We ought to say, God, give me favor. God, give me favor. And a big part of favor is sovereignly decided by God. That's true. But you know what? Throughout Scripture, people who had the favor of God on their life were people who did what God had called them to do. Like Ruth. Ruth's just being faithful. You know, Ruth could sit around and cry and say, I don't have anything. Well, you know what? You have your integrity. You have your character. You got your mother-in-law. Start with what you've got. Noah had the favor of God on his life. Guess what he did? He built an ark for 120 years. Yeah, that's right. No wonder. What about Joseph? Joseph is like, oh man, he's like the... He's like the greatest example of favor. Joseph keeps getting knocked down. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. And favor, he begins to rise in the house of Potiphar. He starts off as the slave, the intern. He works his way up. Now he's manager. Then he's falsely accused of rape. They put him in prison without a just trial. What happens? Joseph's running the prison. Come on, man. Favor. Come on now. He gets out, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Favor, favor. Man, listen, when you walk with God, the favor of God is on your life. Joseph had it. Ruth understood it. Noah discovered it, and many, many others. And here's what's so beautiful. Ruth is going to end up owning the field that she was gleaning. (laughs) Favor, favor. (laughs) wow there's grace in the grind when you're grinding it out doing what you're supposed to do you're not seeing the fruit you're not getting the recognition you're not having the results know this today the grace of God is going to get you through it the grace of God, and you're going to give him all the praise and all the glory. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Let's pray together. Let's just bow our heads and our hearts for just a moment as we have a moment with God. And I want to pray for you. If you'd say, Pastor, I need some more grace in the grind in my journey. Would you raise your hand today? I want to pray for you wherever you are. Yeah, all over this room. Yeah, from the front to the back and the sides and the middle. Thank you all. Way over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Yeah, God. God, you see our hands raised. You see our hearts surrendered to you. Today, Lord, would you fill our cup, as the psalmist said, so it overflows with your grace today. Would you give us the courage and the strength that we need to keep doing what we're doing? Would you remind us that we're doing better than we think that we're doing? God, would you lift us up in hope and encourage with you? 
our heads are bowed for a moment longer. Others of us today may not have ever met this great God. He revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave on the third day. And he did so because he loved you. And the greatest news of all is that Christ wants to come into your life. He wants to wash away your sins. He wants to give you an eternal address in heaven. But we have to respond and to ask him to do so. Would you do that today? It's the greatest decision a person will ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to come into their life. I want to give you an opportunity while our heads are bowed for just a moment to ask Christ into your heart. Would you do it today? If you'd say, yes, pastor, I want to ask Christ into my life this morning. Would you raise your hand wherever you are? Just hold it up high. Hold it up real high and I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. Thank you. I see you over here. Thank you. Somebody else today, just hold it up. Pray this prayer with me if you just raised your hand. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me a new person. Thank you for Christ dying for my sins and coming into my life. And now by faith, I ask you to come into my heart. And we pray these things in your wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate today what God is doing in our lives. Amen.